Hello, I'm Katie and welcome to Prompted, the official podcast for the writing prompt section of reddit.com, where you are prompted to write stories. And here we showcase the best of them, all with the goal of helping each other to become better writers. The great outdoors, the wind whispering through the trees as the brook next to you babbles softly. Today's episode is all about nature, the beauty and sometimes horrors that you might find in some sort of supernatural doppelganger of our own reality. Today we're going to start off with an image prompt. I don't think that we've actually done one of these yet. We may have done it in the older episodes, but since we've rebooted, we actually have not. The image we're using today is titled River Below. The actual image will be in the show notes below if you want to see it, but until then, I will give you a description of it. The image itself is by user TomTC of DeviantArt. The image depicts a very gray and blue mountain range. A bridge connects two cliffs over a river. On the right side of the cliff is a large castle. On the left side, wilderness. The prompt was submitted by Seraphia and the author, Two Auditus. Come, dear child. You are almost halfway through. Across the bridge lies a home for you. No longer must you fight nature to survive. In the kingdom of men you shall blossom and thrive. You saved me from great peril, and for that I am thankful. Don't misunderstand my trepidation. It's not that I'm ungrateful. The mountains are my home. They are all I have known. Your bridges and your castles are strange and unknown. Do not be so quick to give in to the fear and uncertainty. Heed my words, for they might provide some clarity. The castles will protect you from the elements and the fray. This bridge will keep all enemies at bay. Safe from the world, you will play as a child should play. Don't hesitate, my child. Just follow the way. These enemies you speak of, I never had enemies before today. I wonder what must happen when war is not just for play. Must I hurt those who mean me no harm for some vague justification? I wonder what price must I pay for my domestication? Our king is good, in him you can trust. We fight only when we must. Don't thank us unjust. Through work and diligence, any kind of life you want will be achievable. Come, dear child, now don't be unreasonable. I am sorry to disappoint you. I know you mean well. I'm afraid it is time to part ways. Here ends our tale. Kings and castles, it all feels wrong. I am a child of wilderness, in the wild I belong. Goodbye, good sir. You must return to your castle alone. I belong to the mountains. The river will take me home. Our next story for today is read by L.L. Coolbrap. 
The prompt is submitted by Bookworm17, and the author, Rackalacken. The sea of trees. The deeper you go, the taller they get, and the more incredible the animals. After a month of traveling, you just found your first clearing. Elliot always used to think that the ocean was endless, as he stood on the dock of his small fishing village where he could see miles and miles of tumbling water. But on clear days, he could see outlines of other islands on the horizon. Here, there was nothing. The aptly named Sea of Trees was, he believed, truly endless. He sat on the top of a tall tree, and in every direction he saw only trees, as far as he could see before the horizon hit the canopy of leaves. The trees even looked like motionless waves. From the ground, everything seemed flat. But, from his vantage point, he could see that the ground slowly sloped up and down, the trees growing with them. Far ahead to the north, the trees seemed to grow larger and larger. Elliot wondered if he wandered forever, he might one day find a tree reaching up into the sky. Perhaps even all the way to the sun. Something to the east caught his eye. The trees seemed to dip down and disappear, then reappear again on the other side. It was a circular area, not too large, but a decent enough size. It reminded him of a whirlpool on the water. A clearing, he said aloud. Elliot looked down. He was high up, but could still see the forest floor below the leaves. The bear that had been chasing him had gone, probably off to find a slower and less capable meal. He had seen bears before, of course, and as he got deeper into the forest, far more terrifying animals. Bobcats and cougars the size of male lions, giant crocodiles lurked in the streams and ponds. Once he even saw a hawk, larger than him, circling in the sky. But this bear was different. It was at least three times the size of a normal one and had a green tint to it, like it had been rolled around in algae. Its eyes were narrow and its snout large and thick. Its jaw opened wide enough to wrap around the entirety of a fat man's body. One of his paws had slashed at his shoulder, which had long since bled through the bandage he had clumsily applied in the tree. But it was gone now. Elliot was sure. It was large enough to crack large branches and its footsteps vibrated the ground. It constantly growled low and deep, and it could be heard for miles. Elliot climbed down from the tree. He seemed to be right that the bear was gone. Large paw prints headed off to the west. Elliot turned to the east, to where the clearing was. It could be miles away, he knew, but he'd make it there. It wasn't like he had anywhere else to go. That night, he slept in a tree with branches thick enough to support him. He was lulled by the song of the giant crickets. The very next afternoon, 
he reached the clearing. It was larger than he thought, a meadow of grass and little yellow flowers. A pond crystal clear sat in the centre. He ran to it immediately, glad to find a water source not covered in the sludge of vegetation. He filled his canteen, then walked in, shedding his shirt and coat. The water was refreshingly cool, but stung when he submerged his wounded shoulder. You ever hear about how there's always an oasis in a desert? Elliot looked up and saw an old man sitting on a wooden chair. Behind him, on the edge of the clearing, was a giant treehouse. I like to think of this place as a forest oasis, a paradise. You live out here? Elliot asked. I do. Been here my whole life. Even as a child? Yes. What parents would raise a child here? None, the old man said. But parents might leave a child in the woods if they want nothing to do with it. Impossible. How would you survive? I was found by the spirit of the forest. She was nicer back then before the people to the south began to cut down her trees for their expanding cities. Now she's angry. But I think she grew fond of me. She leaves me be. I think the isolation's made you crazy, Elliot said as he pulled himself out of the water. I see you ran into one of her beasts, he said, looking at Elliot's shoulder. But she let you go. Strange. It was a bear who attacked me. I got away from it. You've gotten this deep into the woods, boy. You should know by now that the beasts here are special. If it wanted to kill you, it would have. Elliot couldn't help but think he was right. When he entered the forest over a year ago, five others had come with him, men older and more capable. They had all quickly perished, but he had been left well alone. She wants you for something. You should find her. Seek her out. If there's a lady of the forest, how would I even find her? There are shrines set up to her by the forest people. Though they've long been extinct, their monuments remain. Each night you can find one by following the ray of light the moon makes. Go there. Speak to her. Elliot left the old man then. As a kid, he always believed the woods were a dark and magical force, ever looming a few miles away from his city. Now, he wouldn't believe it, but that night, he climbed a tree for a safe sleeping spot. He went all the way to the top and looked out over the sea of trees. The moon was full and bright with shining rays like the sun would have. He had never gone above the tree line at night before, but now, now he saw the rays landed on spots in the forest, illuminating them in an icy glow. He climbed down the tree and headed towards one.
Today's episode is actually very special. We have a guest reader who may make an additional appearance at some point. I'm looking forward to working with her. Her username is BusyCat, but everyone calls her BCat. She's also bringing to us another image prompt. The image is titled Tree of Memories, and the image is by Baxia Art of DeviantArt. The image depicts a very yellowed sky. A single tree stands atop a hill, red leaves falling all around it. Once again, this prompt is submitted by Seraphia, and the author of this tale is the user Notel. The tree had blood-red leaves. That's what stood out as I ran over and pressed up against its trunk for shelter. Each oval-shaped leaf rounded into a sharp tip, a point that looked needle-like. Storm clouds grumbled overhead, shedding the first few drops of rain across the field of greens and yellows. However, for a short distance around the tree, the ground was barren, painted a brown-red, as the leaves and mud had mushed together to mirror dirt and blood. The thought sent a shiver down my spine. But shelter was all I wanted. Lightning lit the horizon in an arc of bright purple. It danced across the clouds, begging for an audience, the black sheet a canvas for its display. I relented my grip on the tree trunk, knowing that if lightning took to the field, it would find the tall branches first. Trying to move just a little further yielded resistance. I glanced back. The tree's roots had spun coils around my arms, my legs, and my shoes. The wood had crept into the soles of my shoes, under the lining of my pants, and between the buttons of my shirt without me noticing. I scrambled at the roots, only they didn't break off. Instead, they came alive, wrapping around my body. Lightning crackled madly overhead. The tree pulled me against its trunk. I screamed. The pointed edges of tree roots dug into my skin, parting slits just wide enough to leave a trickle of blood. I wrestled against the tree's relentless grasp. My body stung, the pain worsening with each movement. The tree's roots sucked blood from my body, siphoning red into them like tubes. My tugging at the roots, tensing of muscles, only made the tree work faster. Tears threatened to spill over, but I gritted my teeth and fought with all my might. All I had wanted was some shelter. Not this. Not a nightmare. Lightning lit up the sky once again. The white brightness throbbed at the edges of my vision, ebbing in, even when the strike had disappeared. Please, I said. But the tree did not care. It did not listen. And for the last time, there was the rumble of clouds and the strike of lightning. But this time it was in my breath, in the very shock of my bones. When it was done, the air smelled like burnt hair, 
and the branches around me had gone from brown to black. And all I remember as I fell forward was the trickle of beautiful red leaves, leaves that looked like blood. I've always been told to never stand underneath a tree during a thunderstorm. I guess now I know why. Our next story is yet another image prompt. This prompt was also submitted by Seraphia. The image is titled Blazed Fox, and it's by the user Seer Light of DeviantArt. The image depicts a red fox setting on a frozen landscape. A crescent blue moon looms overhead amongst the starry night. Red accents can be seen distinguishing the tree line. The author of this piece is Bookworm17. The winter was deep that year, deep and cold. It killed off the grasses, frosted the clover, and even made the largest, stockiest of trees retreat deep within themselves. The animals hid under trees and in holes, not even poking the very tips of their noses out, afraid to chill themselves to death. So very cold. I'm still not sure how I survived. Undoubtedly, it was mostly luck. My work and my stores of food and wood dwindled as the season went on, and near the last month I was afraid I wouldn't have enough. Eventually, Frigid as the air was, I was forced to bundle up and go outside to look for something to eat. The world outside was frozen in place, not even a breeze. I wanted to turn right back around, but I knew I couldn't do that. If I did, I would never come out again, ever. So I closed my door, locked it, and started my tramp out into the woods. I had some trapping tools. But, I didn't have much hope that I would find an animal to catch in the first place. If they were smart, they would be inside, where I wished I was. My plan was to find roots, the trees and bushes with edible parts buried underground. Tasteless, or even gross, but food. The snow crunched under my boots, the only sound that echoed through the trees. That, and my breath. Steam huffed from between my lips, rising into the sky and vanishing. And then I saw more of it. A gentle mist rising between the trees. Warmth, and a lot of it. So I headed toward it. Perhaps it was a campfire with another hunter willing to share. Maybe it was a hot spring where I could find clean water. Instead, I found a fox. Taller than me, with fur of crackling red and eyes of darkest black. And of course, it looked like it was made of flames. Tracks left in the snow, burning away the ice and revealing green sprigs of grass underneath. Don't ask me how, but I knew instantly that this was spring. And I was angry. So I stomped up to the season incarnate and waved my chilly gloved finger in his face. You did this to me. You're the one who kept us cooped up for months on end. He blinked, surprised. 
You could have come back ages ago, melted the snow, brought back the grass. I put my hands on my hips, warmed from my fury even though the frozen air threatened to encroach on me. In fact, you could have simply never left in the first place. It took me a moment to realise he still looked surprised, and my angry flow slowly stuttered out, What? Never had anyone yell at you before. The fox only blinked, whiskers twitching. My shoulders drooped. <sighs> you probably don't even understand me. You're just a fox. A giant, dumb fox that runs away every winter. His head twisted, watching me curiously. Slowly, he stalked around me, snuffling at my shirts and leaving a trail of melted snow behind him. Every sweep of his tail threw up a plume of steam rising into the sky. After a few long, tense moments, I sighed and reached out to touch him. But Spring was skittish and danced backwards a few steps. Not scared, but not quite trusting. So I sat down, cross-legged, in the area of dirt and green blades that the fox revealed, and simply waited. I wasn't sure what I could do, really. If I convinced Spring to come back with me, maybe I could eat him. But of course, it only took a moment for the burning fox to creep closer again, and poke his nose into my hand. Curious. Interested. New. 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 My coat and hair and shoes. This time, when I reached out, he let me touch him. The fur under my gloves softer than the snow. A few minutes went by as he explored all around, figuring me out. And then he sat back and barked, a chuff, the gentle sound still echoing throughout the dead trees. I took this as my sign to stand again, rising to join the fox. Alright then, what are you going to do? In reply, he turned and ran away. I had hardly taken one step and Spring had already vanished again into the trees. The footprints were long and in between, and even as I followed them I knew I would never catch up. So I stumbled to a halt at the tree line, peering into the distance, wondering if I would ever see the fox again. When I turned around, Spring was sitting there with the smuggest of grins on his muzzle. The entire glade behind me had melted, stolen away from winter. The few trees were blooming, the grass and clover were shimmering with dew, and the slowly setting sun seemed to throw the whole place into a soft yellow light. It took my breath away. After so long in the cruel beauty of a snow-covered world, the simple sight of a growing hillside was like nothing I'd ever seen. Spring gave me a knowing look, and slowly I understood. By the end of summer, this sight had become common, old. I'd taken it for granted, lived in it, worked in it, but never truly noticed it. And spring, spring was all about the new. We have one final story for you today, read by myself. The prompt is submitted by Vinacy, and the author, Genius Guy. There's a door in the middle of the forest. No one who has ever gone in has come back. Your job is to guard anyone from going in. One night, you hear a knock 
on the door. I raised the flask to my lips, taking a long drag of the noxious liquor. It traveled down my throat, lighting a fiery path in its wake. I coughed, <coughs> blinking back the tears. At least it would ward off the cold a little longer. Leaning against the bark of a sizable tree, I closed my eyes in meditation. The night played in symphony around me, lulling and sweet. If anything, it was the main perk of being the doorman. Getting away from the others was what I needed. They were too loud, always celebrating the smallest things. Gods, if they didn't have anything to party about, they would find a reason why. There was a sound, a light tapping reverberating amongst the wooden giants surrounding me. I opened one eye, my hand gravitating to my gun. Didn't sound like any woodland creatures, probably one of the kids from the village, trying to spook me. Or maybe they wanted to divert my attention so they could see the demon's door. After all, it had become a rite of passage for the youth to get as close as possible before being sucked up by it. Every once in a while, one tested their luck too much and were lost forever. But not on my watch. Since taking the role months ago, there hadn't been another disappearance. Impressive, considering the notoriety of the demon's door. If someone wasn't trying to get their own peek inside, they were trying to hack it to splinters. Yet even the sharpest axe did little more than scratch the wooden surface. As the legends claim, the door is as impervious as the gods. Another knock rang. It was louder, more pressing. There was no mistaking where it had come from this time. I turned my head, tracing the origin on the sound. It came from the door. My blood ran cold, the alcohol doing nothing to warm it. That wasn't possible. As far as the stories go, nothing existed on the other side. And I was damn sure no one stayed over there. Yet, the knocking came from it. Sure enough. I rose to my feet, slow and apprehensive. I didn't take my eyes off the door, hands still hovering over my holster. What could lie on the other side? If I had to guess, something I didn't want to deal with. Each step towards the door was agonizing. Dead leaves crunched under my feet. The continual sound putting me on edge. I bit my lip, saying my first prayer since taking the job. I always figured they didn't help when I was so close to evil. Now, I had no idea. Once I reached the door, I paused. It was weathered, yet looked brand new. Its surface pale, but smooth. A brass knob shined in the waning moonlight, glaring with a mysterious aura. It turned a silent, yet unmistakable movement. I pulled back, taking in a sharp breath. <sighs> I expected the door to fly open for foul spirits to pour forth and rip me to shreds. But it didn't. 
All I heard was the knocking. Mustering enough courage, I placed my hand on the knob. It was warm, disobeying the winter's touch. I embraced it, closing my eyes. I twisted my wrist, waiting for the worst. On the other side of the door was darkness, inky blackness. I saw nothing but swirling shadows, tendrils reaching outwards, yet they couldn't reach me, not as long as I was on the other side of the door. A figure faded into existence, a white specter. I squinted, struggling to make out the form. At first, I couldn't make out if it was man or woman, adult or child. However, after a few more seconds, it became clear. It was a girl, scarcely older than eight. She looked up to me, a smile on her face. Her arms shot upwards, a begging expression plastered on her face. Please, Dad, she asked, her voice soft and sonorous. The rims of my eyes grew hot, tears bubbling forth. This couldn't have been happening. Not now. Not like this. I knew what I had to do. Instinctually, I grabbed the door and slammed it tight. Even then, there was muffled crying on the other side. It had been months since the last time I had heard it. Yet the pain remained. I sank to my knees, clutching myself in pain. I mumbled the same words over and over unable to hold back the tears. The knocking started again, piercing my sobs as the ninth symphony reached its end. I'm, I'm so sorry, Nadia. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Nadia. I'm so sorry. Nadia, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Nadia. That's all we have for you today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Prompted. Please be sure to go down below in the show notes and check out all of the authors and all of the stories that they've written. Remember, this podcast would not be possible without the authors and the readers, which is you. So make sure you go to prompted.reddit.com and leave feedback. Subscribe so you never miss an episode, and be sure to tune in next time. And as always, good words, good writing.